first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Two balls and a strike. And a draw. Deep left. Two nothing Yankees. Under normal circumstances, early summer is a busy time for professional sports. Major League Baseball and soccer are usually underway, while the NBA and the NHL are deciding on their season's champions. But this year, all those arenas and ballparks are quiet. Games are on hold, and fans are at home. But what if there was a way to get players back on the field or the court safely, even as the coronavirus pandemic continues? There's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's on the coronavirus task force for the White House and who's apparently a fan of the New York Yankees and the Washington Nationals, floated a potential solution back in April. Put them in big hotels, you know, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled, namely a a surveillance, but have them tested like every week. Fauci's idea has been referred to as a bubble league. And some version of this idea might be key to getting at least one U.S. league, Major League Baseball, up and running again. I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. Bubble League is when you take everybody that you need to operate a sport and you create a bubble as best you can to seal them off from the rest of the world. TJ Quinn is an investigative reporter at ESPN. That means the players stay in hotels or someplace where you keep track of their movement. They only go to and from the ballpark. Anything that you can do to cut off their interaction from the outside world. I spoke with TJ about the plans that have been floated by Major League Baseball to get America's favorite pastime back on track. When they first started creating these plans, the very first idea was contain everything in Arizona, which is one of the two sites for spring training. So no more home games, no more travel. This is everybody's playing in Arizona. They stay there. They're, that's where the bubble league is. Right. That was what they called the biodome option. And the players hated it because they they realized it would mean being away from their families all this time. Then they went to another plan where they were going to do it in three sites, Arizona, Texas and Florida. So you got the two spring training sites. Hmm. uh, But the key here is not geography so much as you had three Republican governors in Ducey, Abbott and DeSantis who were willing to push it and, and open things up. But that plan also presented some issues, like how do you divide up the teams? So Major League Baseball came up with yet another plan. TJ and his colleagues at ESPN recently got their hands on that plan, which would allow players to play in multiple cities, but also includes a bunch of rules governing their every move. 
The time that they spent putting into a plan uh, with the help of their experts who include former CDC officials and epidemiologists, infectious diseases experts, the plan that they came up with is so detailed from where you can stand when you're taking batting practice to not showering when you're at the ballpark. I mean, incredible 67 pages of, of detail about how to make this work. And the players themselves are are starting to absorb just how daunting this whole thing is. But when I speak to people at Major League Baseball, they say, we think we can do it. If we didn't think so, we wouldn't have put this much time and effort into it. Okay, but TJ, I got to ask, why baseball? It just seems like there's a lot of talk about baseball specifically being the right sport to try this out. Why is that? Yeah, any contact is incidental. That's a sport where there's almost no contact right. as opposed to basketball where there's one ball that 10 guys share. Everybody's sweating and, and banging into each other the whole time. They, they, I mean, they've, they've given this so much thought that in the bullpens, when pitchers are warming up, they throw usually to a, a bullpen huh. catcher, someone whose job is just to oh, sit wow. out there and catch as pitchers warm up. Well, every bullpen catcher is assigned to two pitchers only, and you can't work with anybody but those pitchers. And they're going to change the ball, and you got to sanitize your hands. You know, it's interesting that you brought up sort of the mechanics of the game, because that actually hadn't occurred to me. That It hadn't occurred to me that if baseball can't pull it off safely, then clearly the NBA, hockey, like any sport, any other sport that has more contact, the NFL... None of that is going to work out like this truly is the test because it's a sport that has limited contact. Football is scheduled to return in the fall. But if this is what it takes to get baseball going again, where there's, you know, contact is incidental to the game. How do you play football where you've got 22 guys crashing into each other every play? Uh, How do you play basketball when, you know, contact is an essential part of the game? Um, it's going to be hard for them to pull it off. So baseball has a chance to have the stage all to themselves, which is kind of their dream. All right. So how many people are going to participate in this newest plan? How many people are going to have to you know, social distance and follow a bunch of rules to get baseball players back on the field? Right now, you're looking at, you know, 30 teams playing 15 games a day. Uh, it's going to be about 4,500 people involved all across the country. Wow, that is a lot of people. And that doesn't include fans, right? So this would be live sports without fans. Live sports, no fans. Um, I I know Major League Baseball would love to try to work them in if they can. And they've even started to talk about what protocols would be if they get going and this is successful and they don't see any infections or cases spreading. They, they want to try to reintroduce them. And they've got some pretty funny rules about that uh, from when it happens. What are the what are the funny rules that, that the league is looking at for fans? Well, my favorite was described to me by one team president that you know, they talked a lot about what kind of food they're going to serve. Huh. And it said something that's not going to interfere with wearing a mask. And I said, what food doesn't <laughs> interfere with a mask? Do they all drink smoothies? Just like protein shakes, just the whole time. Exactly. And he said, no, like a, he said, uh, a hot dog, for example, you take a couple bites, you put your mask back on. That's not a big deal. But no popcorn, no peanuts, nothing with constant biting so they're they're way deep on the research so hot dogs good and 
peanuts and Cracker Jacks bad. Yes, exactly. All the things that we come to associate with ball games, um, there there will be sacrifices. If the league can't pull this off, if they can't figure out how to have fans and do it safely, what is live sports without fans? It's probably more like a video game in some <laughs> ways, except you don't have any control. You know, we, we do have some precedent for it. So we're finally getting baseball underway in a historical game. And you had one case uh, after the the riots in Baltimore where Major League Baseball played a game. Uh, the Orioles played a game with no fans, and it was really weird. You, you hear everything that they're doing on the field. There's no crowd energy. And that's out of play. The announcers suddenly seem really displaced because... It's just a couple people talking with very little ambient sound. If you're just tuning in, believe it or not, we had a chance to be out of this inning with no runs. Hmm. After a while, you kind of get used to it. It's just like so many things, the new normal. I'm assuming that testing for coronavirus is going to be a big part of this plan, right? So what does that look like? Will they test all the people involved in this plan every day? Because that would be ideal, right? They're not going to test everybody every day at this point. They're estimating that they're going to do up to 14,500 tests a week. Wow. It is a gigantic number. And they recognize that you got a couple of problems. One is producing that many tests. And two is convincing the public that they're not taking them away from anybody else. So what baseball decided to do was take its lab in Salt Lake City that it uses for drug testing and convert that into a COVID operation. Um, They're going to be uh, buying the materials that you need, the swabs, uh, et cetera, on the market uh, because that stuff's available. Really? The issue, it sounds like, and the experts we talked to agreed, it's not the materials that's the problem. It's processing them. You need the reagents to check it, Mm -hmm. um, which apparently they can create. uh, And then you need the access to the labs. So baseball is essentially creating its own lab um, that they're saying is not going to take from anybody else. And the the olive branch to the public is they're going to create a surplus that they can donate tests, Uh, not necessarily to the public at large right away. But they say that in all their cities, they'll be offering them to first responders, other healthcare officials. I've got to assume that money is a big concern here. Do we know how much money Major League Baseball is losing right now because they've shut things down? They say they stand to lose about $4 billion this year. And they made $10.7, I believe, billion last year. So they will undoubtedly lose a ton of money. And one estimate is is uh, $75 million a day. I mean, it's 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 a huge loss. Okay, so money is a significant driver, but is it the only thing that's driving this push to get back on the field? Is there something else? Yeah, there is a ton of pressure on them politically, culturally, uh, financially to get back on the field. Everybody I talked to, uh, you know, we spoke to players, um, union officials, um, team officials. Just day to day, they say they're bombarded with people saying, when are you going to get back out there? We're going to need you. Um, The more significant pressure is from the top. The White House very much wants this to happen. 
And that created uh, what we found one of the more interesting dynamics. When everything shut down in mid-March and everybody's trying to figure out what happened next, there were a number of meetings between sports executives and union officials and people from the CDC and NIH, uh, the top brass who were speaking officially for those agencies. And what a number of union officials from different sports told me was they got a very clear message. The, uh, the hype about the virus is overblown. Testing is not a big deal. It's not the end-all be-all. And as one said, you guys can be the Pied Piper to help lead us back out there. Hmm. And as somebody else pointed out, if you remember, the Pied Piper actually led everybody toward death. It's interesting that one of the driving pushes here is is to sort of lead the way, right? And because baseball has a long reputation as a unifying force in the United States, you know, when when the Yankees returned to play after 9-11, that after this massive tragedy, it felt to a lot of people like a powerful symbol of strength and resilience. But here with this coronavirus pandemic, being a part isn't a symptom of the tragedy. It's the solution for it. So I'm wondering, what does the MLB stand to lose if they can't pull this off and they can't bring people together? Yeah, ba- baseball has been in this really weird place for several years. Um, they they feel like and they know they're sort of slipping from the national consciousness. You know, football is kind of the primary game. Right. Um, you know, basketball in in the era of LeBron James, you know, uh, has you know grabbed a hold of this next generation in a way that baseball only dreams of. At the same time, though, they're making record revenues. The record revenues have only gone up for years, huh. uh, so they're making money, but they think something much bigger is at stake. If they're able to play, odds are they will be the only game in town. They will be the only sport to watch. I grew up watching a lot of baseball movies and my favorite movie is the sandlot (laughs) do players really spit on the ball sometimes is that really a thing and is that gonna have to stop or spit on their hands they lick them constantly i mean it's kind of it's it's i I spent seven seasons covering major league baseball and it's it's not like working in a hospital it's yeah that's gonna have to change (laughs) yeah i mean constantly guys licking their fingers to get a better grip you know spitting everywhere but you do not want to get caught loading a ball during a pandemic tj quinn is an investigative reporter for espn thank you so much tj it's my pleasure Although the league hasn't given any estimates for what this plan will cost, it's pretty clear that bringing baseball back is going to be expensive. I guess the bet they're making is that it won't be quite as expensive as not bringing it back. And baseball isn't alone in thinking this way. A lot of other sports leagues are coming up with their own plans right now. The NBA is exploring establishing a bubble league at Disney World in Orlando this summer, which means all players and support staff would move to the resort full-time for the remainder of their season. But some leagues aren't taking nearly as many precautions. For example, they are doing face-to-face in-octagon media interviews after fights. That is something that is explicitly prohibited in their protocol. First of all, the protocol was insufficient, and they're not even following their own protocol. 
After the break, an epidemiologist critiques these plans, and let's just say they don't all make the grade. This is Reset. So Zach Binney, epidemiologist at Emory University, we've just heard all about Major League Baseball's approach to returning players to the field. What's your assessment of that plan? You know, if you were to give it a grade on a scale of one to 10, what kind of grade does it get? Six and a half, maybe, I would say, on a Oof. scale of one to 10. It's Here's the thing. They have done an incredible job laying out a lot of details. There is a lot of thought that went into this plan, and I am truly, truly impressed by the amount of that. The issue with Major League Baseball's plan is I've actually read the protocol, and if you go in and you look at the wording, it says that everyone will be tested, quote, multiple times per week. To me, that says anywhere between two and six times per week, because if you were getting tested daily or seven times a week, you just say that, right? So I'm assuming between two and six times. Maybe it doesn't have to be daily if if we are able to get uh, the number of active cases in this country down to a relatively low level. But there's still this enormous hole of the frequency of testing, and that's why I would have to give it such a questionable grade. It's it really, it, it, I would rather grade it as incomplete than give it any particular score because we just don't know what the frequency of testing is going to be. Does does MLB's plan qualify as a bubble league? Like, is, is, does that actually work out that way? No, I wouldn't call MLB's plan a bubble league. The way that I see it, there are basically two main paths that you can go down when you talk about uh, trying to bring a pro sports league back. One is a bubble league plan or the so-called biodome plans that involve centralizing everyone at uh, one or a few locations, uh, sequestering them uh, in a way that you really limit contact between those who are within the league. So players, coaches, trainers, support staff, broadcast staff. The other main path is one where you say, okay, we're not going to try and sequester everyone. We're going to rely on testing. So saying, we know that you're going to get sick in your daily lives, just around your family or going out and and living your life. But when you come to work, we're going to test you and we are going to make sure that you don't get your coworkers sick by essentially testing you regularly and making sure that we can identify uh, very, very quickly when you become contagious to cut uh, any transmission chains before they get out of control. So what is the name of that type of league? Is it a testing league? I would call it a testing league. That's that's how I've been referencing it. Yes. Uh, the closest comparison I can see to Major League Baseball's plan is the Bundesliga, the soccer league uh, in Germany. Okay. Germany has about six to seven times uh, fewer cases per capita, new cases per capita than the U.S. right now. So there's less virus over there. Mm-hmm. They have already had multiple teams with multi-case clusters, and at least one of them has had to shut down and quarantine for two weeks. So if testing twice weekly, and that's what the German plan says, is to test twice weekly, if that results in case clusters and quarantine teams in Germany, then I think that it would be very likely to see that happen in Major League Baseball as well, which is why you would need more frequent testing. I know that Ultimate Fighting, the UFC, recently held some mixed martial arts matches without fans. Can you talk to me a little bit about their approach? 
So UFC's approach um, was not sufficient basically because of how early they tried to do it. So it's harder to bring back any sport when you have a lot of virus floating around uh, out there in the areas where you're trying to bring the sport back. The UFC also didn't test people frequently enough. They tested everyone uh, when they arrived in Jacksonville, Florida, where they were holding their events. And then uh, there are some reports that they tested fighters a second time. But the problem with only testing people once and with the 48-hour turnaround that they had on those tests is that you had a situation like Yakare Souza, uh, who was a fighter who uh, had been around a uh, family member who was positive, as far as we understand. Okay. Arrived on Wednesday, took a test, was asked to isolate in his hotel room. We know he didn't do that the entire time. We don't know how often he was out. But it was Friday before they actually got his positive test back and moved him off site. Wow. So that's a huge gap of time where somebody could potentially spread the disease. The other thing to understand about the UFC is I've read their entire uh, protocol they're not even sticking to their protocol. Really? They have uh, much more contact uh, than their protocol lays out. For example, they are doing face-to-face in Octagon uh, media interviews after fights. That is something that is explicitly prohibited in their protocol. Hmm. So, you know, how can... First of all, the protocol was insufficient, and they're not even following their own protocol. All right. So if Bundesliga is having some difficulties right now, UFC seems like they're not even trying, they're not following their own plan, and MLB is basically getting an incomplete right now, given its current plan. What does that tell you about how getting sports back up and running could all play out in the U.S.? It tells me that we just don't know yet uh, what we're going to see. Um, I think that we have yet to see the details on a really strict plan that I would be really confident in being successful and not being interrupted by the virus. Uh, I have hopes uh, that we will see something like that. I mean, all of the NBA commissioner Adam Silver's public comments, for example, have been very, very encouraging and indicate to me that he really understands the issues that are at stake. So I'm eager to see if the NBA uh, decides to return, and if so, if they come up with a plan that looks really, really solid uh, from a public health and safety perspective. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think a lot of people tend to look around at, say, uh, South Korea, where they have baseball back, and Taiwan, where they have baseball back, and they think, well, why can't we just do that uh, in the U.S.? Or why can't we follow the Bundesliga's plan? And the truth is, we're in a worse situation here in the U.S. Mm. If you want to think about flattening the curve, and you want to say the U.S flattened it into a mesa, like a flat-topped mountain, then South Korea and Taiwan had flattened theirs into a crate. Right. The two situations really aren't comparable. And so you need a stricter plan here in the U.S. to bring sports back with the same level of risk uh, that you would get in other countries. What happens if the MLB or the NHL opens back up again and and resumes their seasons and a bunch of people get sick? Like, at what point do we say, okay, this is a huge failure? Do we have an idea of of when we're going to determine that we need to stop this? 
the truth is all of these leagues are going to be at the mercy of the local public health departments in which they operate right. and the state public health departments in, in the markets in which they operate. And if the situation gets too bad for them, they will shut it down. Now, some places have already proven that they are more willing than others to do that. So you could get a team in Illinois or California or New York that gets told, hey, you can't hold games anymore, even without fans, while teams in Florida or Georgia or Texas are told to go ahead. And that could be the case both because of tighter or looser regulations, as well as the fact that we don't have one epidemic in this country, nor will we ever. We have a bunch of different epidemics in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. So it's very possible that some in some markets, it could be perfectly responsible to be playing games without fans and very, very frequent testing. And in others, that's not responsible. And so what do you as a league do if, say, four of your 25 markets are suffering an explosive outbreak. You need some sort of contingency plan there. And uh, I don't know that I've seen a real convincing one uh, of those yet, which is why I still lean towards favoring plans that involve some sort of centralization and sequestering Mm -hmm. uh, to reduce uh, your, your exposure to just one or two of your markets having an explosive outbreak, because I, I suspect mm-hmm. that that will happen at some point. Now, when you right. when you ask for guidelines for when to shut it down, one case, not enough. If you start seeing two or three cases in rapid succession, you definitely need to start thinking about quarantining a, a team. Once you got to four or five, that's it. You'd say you have an outbreak, got to shut down and isolate everybody for two weeks. Do you think that anyone is going to be able to pull this off safely? I have hopes. I really do. I am optimistic that somebody will figure out the right way. It could still be Major League Baseball if they can figure out how to get to daily testing. Uh, It could be the NBA if they really sit down with their players and are able to negotiate at least, say, the playoffs in a uh, sequestered environment where you basically make more of an upfront investment to make sure a case doesn't get into the system. And so maybe you can do a little bit less frequent testing and maybe be a little looser on physical contact restrictions within Mm -hmm. the bubble or within the biodome. Uh, You can also look at the Premier Lacrosse League, which is planning to hold a two-week quarantine tournament uh, at a site to be determined uh, in late July. That, Hmm. to me, sounds plausible. Uh, it's a relatively smaller group of folks. It would be a short-term thing. Uh, I'm obviously right. curious to see what their plan ends up looking like, but I think that that could be plausible. So I really am optimistic that we will have sports without fans uh, back sometime, certainly, uh, before we have a vaccine. Zach, are, are you a sports fan? Huge sports fan. Uh, I'm a football guy. I'm an NFL guy through and through. Uh, I'm also a baseball fan. I've done some work in baseball uh, for a couple of teams. All right. So you enjoy watching sports. You're like you're invested in this, you know, emotionally you're invested in this. Absolutely. I'm wondering, though, I have played sports my whole life. I played basketball in high school. I played very competitive flag football. I love sports. And I also understand that sports are a huge economic driver in this country, in the United States. But I could see some some folks listening to this right now and saying, is this worth it? Is it worth potentially killing people all in the name of sports? And I would really like your take on that. No, look, it's a very fair question. 
And I'm going to be honest with people. I struggle with this in my dual roles as an epidemiologist. My wife actually works at CDC on the COVID-19 response right now. So I have to balance everything I know and my absolute unwavering desire to protect public health Mm -hmm. with my desires as a sports fan and wanting more than anything for sports to come back. My personal opinion is that there is a way to do this safely while minimizing the risk to public health, but it requires enormous investments and sacrifices on behalf of the league and on behalf of players uh, who under a centralization and sequestering plan would have to give up uh, quite a few rights and and suffer quite a few things that uh, that they don't want to suffer public health, player health, coach and support staff health are priorities one, two, three, four, and five. We can't bring sports back if it's a a large public health risk. But I also want to layer on top of that an important point of just my opinion on how we need to be thinking about any sort of return to normality, which is that Mm -hmm. everything we do in life, both right now and before, has a risk. When I go to the grocery store, that's a risk but it is outweighed by the fact that I need to go get groceries. So everything that we think about doing, including bringing pro sports back, there's a risk and a benefit. And Mm -hmm. it's a very personal decision, I think, for a lot of people, and not everybody would reach the same conclusion on what the benefits of any one thing are uh, versus what the risks are and how those weigh out in your mind. So I think the goal is to come up with a plan that maximizes benefits while minimizing risks. And there are different ways that you can do that. But just as some people would say, um, you know, I don't see the uh, need to bring pro sports back. I might argue, for example, I'm not a particularly religious man. I don't mind saying. And so maybe I don't see the benefit of, say, allowing church groups to gather indoors again. So it's all about your personal risk and benefit and how do you weigh those. And uh, and as public health folks, we need to always keep that in mind and, and make sure that the benefits of anything that we're doing in terms of reopening uh, doesn't cause more risk than is worth it. Zach Binney is an epidemiologist at Emory University. Zach, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, Ariel. Thank you. I'm Ariel Dimros, and this is Reset. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds.